0: Um, I want to introduce to you Nathan Wagnon. Nathan, for many of you, uh, have probably met Nathan at some point or another. He's been around Watermark for quite a while. He was at Dallas Seminary and uh, was at Watermark then. And then went and did a couple of tours, uh, a scenic tour in Afghanistan. And that's what you're doing over there, right, Nathan? He did a couple of scenic tours in Afghanistan with the United States Army and is now one of uh, our residents with the equipping team. That's right. So... Uh, so Nathan, come on up, man. Nathan's going to uh lead us in our study this morning. Thanks. How you guys doing this morning? Good. Hey, uh when they asked me to teach, uh, they were like, "Hey, tell some war stories, you know?" I'm like, I'm like, man, we could tell war stories uh, all day long. That'd be good. I I know during my first deployment, I was right outside of Kandahar city in a, in a district called the Zari district and, and uh, a a well-known general came down and went on patrol with us because we'd kind of been, it was a very kinetic area and um, we had uh, been taking a lot of casualties and he was just coming down to, Hey, support the troops, you know, kind of thing. uh, which is always interesting when guys like that come down because normally you have maybe like an Apache or a Kiowa supporting you and then a four-star general comes down and you have like missiles laid on from the Persian Gulf, you know? (laughs) It's like all of this stuff at your disposal. But he said something interesting uh, when we were sitting around a campfire one night and he was like, hey, guys, you know, you're right in the middle of this right now and this is, you know, as crazy as this environment is, this is one of the best times of your life. And you're going to be... You know, years from now, you're going to be sitting there having a beer with, you know, with your battle buddy, and you're going to be talking about, you know, how great these times were. And he 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 said something really interesting. He was like, he was like, and the stories that you tell then are going to be pretty different from what they are now. You know, like, uh, the stories get better and better over time. And then uh, he just said, nothing ruins a war story like an eyewitness, you know? And so, uh, <laughs> I've always thought that was interesting, but... So anyway, I, I won't tell war stories this morning. I'm going to uh, talk about James, uh, chapter one, verses thirteen to eighteen, and and this is a really interesting passage. As i as I was thinking through, you know, kind of how does this passage fit in in light of what we learned last week, where really it was just like, hey, you're going to experience trials, you're going to experience, um, you're going to have to endure. I mean, that's part of the maturing process. It's part of God saying, hey, um, I. I I'm not going to leave you where you are. I mean it's it's good that you drink milk for a little while, but let's grow. Let's let's grow into the meat of the word. And so um that process looks like frankly a lot of times getting kicked in the teeth. Right? I mean we're it, it uh, that's how we grow. We grow through resistance training. We grow through, you know, the 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 just the discipline of life of of as as things come to us then after, and and frankly after a, after you've experienced a lot of that for a while then then I mean I know I have in my life where I've just been, all right, Lord, I've endured for a long time now. I want to stop enduring. I, I've, I've been kicked in the teeth a lot. My face hurts, <laughs> you know? Like, stop kicking me in the teeth um, with with all of this stuff. Anybody been there before? Probably a lot of us, right? And so the temptation becomes, after you've been kicked in the teeth a thousand times, the, the temptation becomes, man, Lord, um, I, I, I'm wondering if you're good in all of this. Right? I, I'm wondering if you and your sovereignty that are that are allowing me to to persevere through trials so that the testing of my faith would produce endurance and that my endurance would be perfect and complete so that I don't lack anything. I'm wondering if that's if your plan in in that is really good. Because right now I feel really horrible. Uh, I'm falling on my face a lot. And and so what follows is is James's Really, and I think this 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 passage, uh, and not just because I'm teaching on it today, but I really do think that there's a central message here that drives um, the entire that drives the entire book, is and and it's the gospel, and and you can't know the gospel until you understand first what the problem is, and so that's what James is saying. He's like, hey, you're gonna feel like that God's not good in the midst of trial. And so, um, as we walk through this passage, I really want to cover those three aspects of this passage. The first one is that there's, there, there's two births in this, in this uh, little, little section. The first birth is, is what we produce as, as humans in our flesh, and that is sin, okay? That's the problem, All right? Then there's an exhortation in verse 16, and then lastly, there's another birth that God produces in us, and that's redemption and salvation, and that's the gospel. Okay? So let's look, at, let's look at those three. First of all, just going through the, the entire passage. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So, there's three movements there. One is that we have our own desire, the desire inside of us that's going to produce the, the type of things that only we can produce, right? And, and so the, the desire, when it is enticed, when we're getting kicked in the teeth and we're tempted to think that God's not good, then we, then we think, you know what, it's about time for, for me to take this situation and for me to start manipulating it, controlling it, putting my own little spin on it so that I can produce what I think I need and And that desire produces sin and, and and a lot of times we look at sin and we 're like, well, you know yeah, that definitely outward behavior i mean things that that are just uh, you know awful and 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 then we look at what sin produces, and sin uh, when it is fully grown, when it is matured, it brings forth death so that's not very good. (laughs) This is what we produce. This is the problem. When left left to ourselves, in fact, uh, like Romans 8 says, um, when when we live in the flesh, this is all we can do. You can't do anything but this. And so that leaves us with, with, well, you know what is the nature of sin as if our desire produces sin and sin produces death then what's the core really root of that problem and so that's what I want to want to look at next what is the desire that entices us because as James goes through his progression it's kind of like man we we, a lot of times we focus on the death part and we're like man it's horrible and and yet uh, death is a consequence of, of a much deeper problem and until we're dealing with a much deeper problem then death is just going to continue to occur in our lives. So just to uh, use a military metaphor, right? I was a light infantry uh, platoon uh, leader in in Afghanistan, and you have multiple weapons at your disposal. One of them is like, is anybody Vietnam vets in here? That's what I'm talking about, guys. Yeah, get those hands up. So the the, uh, uh, the suppressive weapon in a platoon in Vietnam was the M60, right? The Like uh, Rambo's gun, you know? And... Uh, and we've since upgraded right, to a different weapon system. It's called the the M240 Bravo. It's a um, it's just a 7.62 shoots a 7.62 NATO round, and it literally the entire purpose of it is to just spray rounds, suppress the enemy so that you can maneuver. And so when when lead starts flying, then you want that weapon system because it allows you to to get up and not you know worry about uh, as much. Taken fire. The the problem with the M240 Bravo is it's by nature it's extremely inaccurate. So as soon as you pull the trigger, the first round might be somewhat accurate. The rest of them are just spraying, right? It's a and and uh, and yet uh, and it serves its purpose for sure. But there's another weapon system um, that that every platoon has. It's it's the it's the marksman uh, rifle, right? And 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 that weapon is designed to put a very small piece of lead in a very specific spot. Alright? It's very accurate. And so we can't just look, guys, in, this, in the Christian life, a lot of times we're like, alright, I'm dealing with sin. Alright, I want to be honest, I want to confess, and I wanna I wanna just, you know, move past this. So ba 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 ba. And a lot of times we're not really accurate in what we're doing because we're not dealing with the very root issue that's actually causing the sin and death. Right? So what is the desire that entices us? Well, Genesis chapter three verses 1 to 7. Man, go back all the way back to the beginning of the story. And I'm glad we covered Genesis, you know, well, last year. <laughs> but Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 7 says this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4, and the serpent said, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it, all right? Um, Man, look, the the honey that's coming out of the mouth of the the deceiver is, is two things. One, did God really say, right? Man, when you're getting kicked in the teeth and you're having to endure, then a lot of times that's a really, Potent lie. Did God really say that he had my best interests in mind? Did God really say that he was going to work out everything for my own maturity and his glory? Did God, did God really say? Right? And man, that works, out, that works itself out in our lives in very practical ways. I mean, it's what drives our behavior. It's, it's not necessarily what we would say about God. Well, yeah, God has my best, be, best you know, interest in mind. And yet we live like he doesn't. So so there's a gap there, and it's because we're functionally believing a lie, that God doesn't have our best interest in mind. And then the second aspect of that is that Satan says, hey, not only is God not able to be trusted, but you could do better than he can, right? I, I mean, you be like God, knowing good and evil, so hey, here, take it, eat the fruit. And that's the desire inside of us. So a lot of us really hang out in the whole behavioral sin aspect where, where it's, you know, hey, I just want to not sin anymore. So how do I just quit sinning? If you guys were here on Sunday, you heard Blake talk about that, right? I mean, a, a big part of our response to that is try harder, <laughs> you know, keep digging, <laughs> just get a bigger shovel. It'll work, I promise, eventually. And yet you never learn the chords, of the piano, and you can't ever play. Right. So trying has literally has nothing to do with it um, in the initial stages, because the desire is that we want to fill ourselves apart from God. We look at the fruit and we say, all right, Lord, I don't think you're trustworthy and I think I could do a better job than you. So I'm going to take and I'm going to eat. Right. And, And ultimately, that desire to fill ourselves apart from God comes from a deeper issue. That is, we would rather be God than trust him. Right? When you're talking about sin, uh, unless you're talking about it in this instance, I don't think you're fully talking about sin. Sin is not the behavioral outworking of, of, of uh, evil in the eyes of the Lord that comes out of your life. The sin is the deeper issue of a relational rebellion where you've said, Lord, I know I was created for your glory. I know I was created to be in a relationship with you. I know that you're the only one that can bring me life, and yet I think I can do it better than you. And I'm going to rebel, relationally rebel against you and do it my own way. And when we do it our own way, guess what it produces? Sin and death. Every single time, sin and death. Right? So that's why the exhortation in, in, in verse 16 is, hey, don't be misled. Right? We're faced with decisions every day where we have to say, all right, Lord, I'm going to either trust you in this or, Lord, I'm going to take this, I'm going to work it, I'm going to manipulate it, I'm going to drive it my own way. And, and James is exhorting us, do not be misled. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. And if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap flesh. You're going to reap sin and death. So don't be deceived. The two, driving, the two driving truths about not being deceived is to functionally believe every single day that God is trustworthy. The the the, the the other part of don't be deceived is that you're not God, <laughs> right? Which, I mean, I know that sounds like, hey, I came to church this morning. They told me I wasn't God, you know? I feel totally edified, <laughs> you know? And, and yet, at, at the same time, I'm like, man, well, let's, let's look unpack our days, you know? What, what decisions are we making where, where even though we're, we would not ever come out and say, yes, I believe that I'm God, we are functioning as, as if we are, Right? And and so that's where I'm like, hey, um, spiritual formation, the spiritual transformation that God wants to do in our heart is much less about you modifying your behavior. It is much, much more like you modifying your belief. What are you believing about God when you're tempted? Well, it's really simple. You're believing that He's not trustworthy and that you think you can do it better. All right? But guess what? God's not done. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Verse 17 and 18. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We were broken. We had relationally rebelled against the Father. Our sin had produced death. Death is separation from God. And, and, and God said, I will, you cannot fix yourself, so I will invade history and fix you for you. John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The true word has come into our reality to change us from the inside out. He, he has allowed us and, and, and really has brought into and ushered into us a new life. This second aspect of what James is talking about. He, he gave birth to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So, so that you have a new life. Uh, uh, hey, um, if anybody is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old man the one dominated by his own desire, by, by uh, his sin, by death, that's gone. God has sent his son and has said that no longer applies to you. And so there's new life. The, the, old, one is, the old man is gone. Behold, um, the, the new has come. And then, and then ultimately um, that, that God has said, hey, you are, uh, Jesus Christ is the first fruit of, of, of those who are alive from the dead. And that you, if you are in Christ, you have become God's prized possession. Right? We went from like rebels against God to sons of God. And that's the gospel. That is the gospel. And that's not some, you know, that, that's not some uh, just ethereal reality that's out there that's like, well, I'm not really sure exactly what that means. That's a deeply personal reality that works its way out from, from a changed heart that God has, has given to you, out into your life to where you begin to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the good things that God is doing in our lives. So that it doesn't matter if, if, if a trial hits us here, if a trial hits us there. God has, re, has fundamentally reordered who we are. Our identity is different. Our identity has changed. And so, uh, man, when you're talking about the lies that, that we believe on a pretty regular basis, the lie is that, uh, Pete, if you'll switch a slide, the lie is that you can and that you should be your own God. And guess what that produces? Sin and death. All right? The truth is that in Christ, you're a son of God. In Christ, you're a son of God. In case you guys don't believe me, (laughs) all right, let's look at a few passages. Ephesians chapter one, verses three to eight. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ for he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Did you hear that? Not that we would like you know, carried along with us like a buddy, but that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his, of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Colossians chapter two, verses 13 to 15 when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away. He nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them by the cross. That Christ is not just making you new, he, He's like making fun of the enemy. You have no power here. You have no say here. You have no dominion here. What I declare to be new is new. Period. There is no, there is no, I, 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 I don't know if I'm a son or not. I, I keep struggling with this like behavioral sin. I keep struggling with this relational rebellion. Christ has made you new. That is the gospel. And so when we're breathing air as sons of God, the air we breathe is free air. We are no longer slaves to sin you're no longer under the law, you are under the grace of God. Like, and so, I'm going to leave you with this, Peterfield switch. Um, live as God's prized possession. Why? Because that's who you are. We, we should live free because that's what God has made us. We're, we're no longer slaves to that cycle of desire and sin and death. We're sons of God. And so, brothers, as we leave here, breathe the free there because that's who you are. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we go to our groups, I pray that the depth of the truth of the gospel would take root in our hearts, that we would, as we walk throughout this day, I pray that we would functionally believe the truth that we are your sons. And I pray that that would work itself out in our lives as we go throughout our day at work, with the family, with hobbies, with all the activities that we have going on. I pray that the gospel would permeate our lives, that we would no longer believe the lie, but that we would function as you have made us, and that is free. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.